Introduction Part 9 of Commentary on the Gospel of John, Book 9, by Cyril of Alexandria, translated by Rev. Thomas Randall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 9. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and dost thou not know me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. In an unexpected way he convicts the disciple of ignorance, for the less easily discernible portions of the meanings implied, in the apprehension of which our mental faculties are necessarily put to a more subtle test, will certainly, although possibly not in any short period, yet still in a longer extension of time, be grasped by those who are desirous to learn, and will explain themselves most clearly. And those whose minds are not hardened, and whose knowledge is unobstructed, may at once be expected to perceive such meanings and accept them with perfect ease. What is it, therefore, he seems to say, that hinders you, O Philip, from arriving at perfection of knowledge of myself? Tell me, for although so long a time has elapsed since I have been with you as to suffice for a perfect knowledge of all that it was needful for thee to learn, nevertheless thou art still in doubt, or rather art convicted of absolute ignorance, as to who I am by nature, and whence I come. And yet thou findest me to be the creator of all that is more especially admired in thy sight. How was it that thou didst not know, that he who hath seen me hath seen the Father? Thou supposest that the Jews of old saw the divine nature on Mount Sinai, and heard it speaking and delivering the laws that govern men's conduct. But not yet hast thou realized that through me and in me thou hast seen the Father. For he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And to show my hearers that it is no corporeal contemplation that Christ here indicates, needs I think not many words. For no thoughtful person would ever maintain that the divine nature can be made an object of corporeal vision. Nay, no one could endure to behold with the eyes of the body that which is now apprehended dimly as in a mirror, for we see darkly. And I believe that even the man who boasts of the very highest knowledge has but a faint idea concerning God. But this also we must say to the enemies of the truth, who are profuse in their railings against us, or rather against the very essence of the only begotten. For if it is untrue that the Son is of the very essence of God the Father, so as to be by generation that which he is, namely in his nature and in very truth God, and if he is made illustrious by the mere addition to himself of features that were not originally his own, so that he shines, as it were, by reflected light from glories bestowed upon him, and not by his own natural luster, while appearing all the while as a true likeness of the Father and an unchanging image of God, then surely in the first place he could not be in his nature a son, or even in any true sense an offspring, but he must be either a created object like unto ourselves, or some other being standing in a similar relation, and this much being admitted and accepted as true, we shall then, it seems, have established this consequence also, 
that the father could never be really and naturally a father but only so in will and in semblance just as he is reckoned a father of us also and what will be the natural sequence of this we shall still necessarily have to acknowledge a trinity only no longer do we express any belief whatever in the holy trinity but rather in three utterly distinct persons each having nothing essentially in common with any other each one of those named receding as it were into the special peculiarity of his own nature each totally separate from the other for the weightiness of the subject forces us to speak even more firmly still on the point and if we allow that this is true and confess that it follows as we have said and admit that the son is utterly different from the essence of god the father surely then christ will be speaking falsely in the words he that hath seen me hath seen the father for since the father is from the beginning in his nature god how could the son although not being according to the view of these heretics in his nature god show forth the father in himself for how shall we behold the uncreated in the created and in one who once was not according to their theory how could any man possibly behold him who was from all eternity for let not any of these blasphemers tell me in his sophistical declamations against the power of truth that because christ is endued with the glory of god and his power and wisdom and good and omnipotence so that he can bring into being things that never before existed therefore he is also an image of him but first let such an one prove whether christ does not display himself as in his nature god and that so irrefutably that there is nothing which impairs the universal and absolute resemblance of the image to the archetype and if he hesitates in perplexity and is unwilling to prove this we will in the next place ask him to tell us what explanation will allow of one who according to their accursed notions is not in his nature god being enabled to fulfill the works that belong to the godhead for this is what they mean by saying that he bears the image of the father for if the son without possessing as his own a power sufficient for the purpose borrows the power from the father and is by him supplied with wisdom and might so as to be able to perform actions which we shall allow to be beyond the power of any nature save that of the father alone then in so doing he will be falsely representing the image and the likeness and if we refuse to admit that he being of the nature we have just been describing is guilty of falsehood and accept the truth of his words we shall then find ourselves convicted of wronging the glory of god the father in a manner that i will now explain we are constrained to admit one of two things either he falsely represents the image of god the father in that he possesses not in himself the might sufficing for his acts but is supplied therewith from another whereas it is not so with the archetype or else if it is true as he says that in him the father is seen by us 
and that there is really nothing whatever that disfigures or obscures or perverts his perfect similarity it is absolutely necessary willingly or unwillingly to admit that the father himself holds his power as something received from another for in this way he willed to display to us himself in the image of his own nature and of his glory is it possible then one might go on to say to these heretics that you do not perceive whether your theory when once it quits the safe path will lead you on and into what an abyss of error it will plunge those who have held such views but say they surely it is possible that the son although a created being may yet fulfil the works whereof by his nature he is capable and so advance the glory of god the father now what suggestion can appear more impious than this if this be as they say there can no longer be any superiority or any higher dignity by which god excels his creatures if even one of them is to be invested with the glory and power of the godhead for let no one be so excessively deranged in mind as to suppose that he is imagining and uttering a marvellous and magnificent compliment concerning the son in thinking or saying that he is a creature but not as one of the creatures let him be well assured that he is thus in no small degree disparaging his glory for the question is not whether his nature is specially superior beyond all other creatures but whether he is at all a created being for how could he avoid the consequences of being a creature even though he were the noblest of all creatures and if the glory of the sun is disparaged by saying that he was brought into existence why do they vainly advance to heal as it were his offended dignity the statement that he was created in the highest of all possible ranks it follows therefore that we shall offer insult to the essence of god the father if we bestow such power on the sun supposing the sun according to their ignorant and unskilful reasoning is himself a created being and we shall not tolerate them when they tell us that the son performs the acts of the godhead though himself in his nature a creature so as to glorify god the father if they can prove as much from the divine scripture let them bring forward their citations and let them observe the sayings of the holy writers in all sincerity but if these are inventions of their own brains and if they have themselves manufactured their arguments in this matter we shall salute them with the words woe to those who prophesy after their own heart for we shall allow that the father ever is desirous of whatsoever he knows will maintain in integrity his divine glory and preserve the absolute truth of the declarations made concerning himself and so we shall now bid farewell to the ignorant suggestions of those heretics and pass on to the real truth concerning christ believing that he is in truth begotten as son of the essence of god the father and that he is in his nature god of god for thus he speaks in perfect truth in that he is both the very image and the likeness of god the father when he says he that hath seen me hath seen the father
How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Thou mightest, Philip, he would say, have beheld the glory of the Father in me, and from what I am have perceived the nature of my parent, for I have appeared in my true character as a very and exact image, and as a perfect likeness of his essence, bearing engraved on myself the entire nature of God the Father. What additional manner of divine vision, other than this, couldst thou ask for, at least if thou wouldst display thy ability to estimate things in true proportion? Or tell me what kind of contemplation thou dost require? Dost thou really suppose that a better and fuller manifestation was granted to the men of former times, when I came down on Mount Sinai in a vision of fire? for this above all else was the greatest and most usual boast of the Jews. This we may in all probability suppose to have been the meaning of Christ's answer. We must now, I conceive, feel it our duty to state in all boldness that the manifestation of the miracles of our Saviour Christ was a better guide to the knowledge of God the Father than the vision that appeared on Mount Sinai. For thus thou wilt see that Philip, when the true image was before his eyes, was in no way constrained to ask for that other sight of God the Father, which on Mount Sinai was granted to those of former time. For there the Lord descended, as it is written, in a form of fire, while the Israelites were looking on. But no one could, I think, thereby be made to advance to a right conception concerning God, or to ascend with one bound to a fitting comprehension of the Godhead. For how by means of fire as an image could we be led to realize the existence of God the Father as the archetype, thereby shadowed forth? For God is naturally good, and moreover is a creator, calling previously non-existent things into being, bringing together the universe into consistence, and quickening all things. He is also wisdom and power, kind, compassionate, and merciful. And none of these attributes belong to fire. For no one would suppose, at least if he were gifted with sense, that fire was kind and compassionate to men. Nor would anyone soberly maintain that it was a creative influence, endowed with wisdom and the power of bestowing life. If this be so, Tell me how any one could possibly, from a vision of fire, gather any ideas concerning the true nature of the Godhead. Or how could one behold, in a mirror darkly, any of those attributes that are inherent in it? What, then, one may say, was the ground or reason that induced God to declare himself in the form of fire on Mount Sinai? We shall answer that as the children of Israel were, at that moment above all others in their career, beginning their education in the way of godliness, and were about to draw up the law which was to be observed as a strict rule to govern their own lives. It was most especially needful that God should appear as a chastiser and a terrible one to them, so that transgressors might be able to realize that they had to do with a fire, Therefore surely it was that the great Moses also in speaking to the children of Israel said, 
our God is a consuming fire. And we should not at all be inclined to say that it was in order to exhibit to us the nature of God that the very wise writer thus compared him to fire, but that he bestowed this title on God from the fact that, owing to his excessive hatred of wickedness, God shrinks not from wasting and consuming, like an all-devouring fire, those who despise him. Therefore it is not in consequence of what he is in his nature that God makes himself known in a vision of fire, but it was found to conduce to the profit of those who listened, that he should be thus named, and that he should have then appeared as fire. Let us pass now to that true and most exact vision of the Father granted to us in the Son. For we shall see him to be an image of the one who begat him, if we gaze intently with the eye of our minds on the extraordinary powers that are displayed in him. Goodness belongs naturally to God the Father, and the same we shall find in the Son. For surely he is good, who endured so great humiliation for our sakes, coming into the world to save sinners, and laying down his life for them. Similarly, the Father is powerful, and so it is with the Son. For what power could be greater than that which commanded even the elements themselves, rebuking the sea and the winds, and transforming the nature of substances at his will, bidding the leper be cleansed, and giving sight to the blind, and all with God-befitting authority. The Father is in his nature life. The Son also is equally life, quickening those who have been turned to corruption, overthrowing the power of death, and thereby raising the dead to life. Rightly, then, does he say to Philip, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. For whereas, he would say, Thou mightest in me and through me behold very clearly my Father, what other manner of divine vision dost thou ask for? when thou hast received a far better one than that vouchsafed to the men of former time, and hast met with a most true likeness of the Father, namely, mine own self. 10. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? I indeed, O Philip, he would say, in depicting in myself the nature of my Father, am the image of his essence, molded as that implies after his likeness not as might be supposed by the bestowal of glories that once were not mine nor even by the reflected brilliancy of divine endowments that once were unfamiliar but have been granted from without but rather in my own nature are contained the qualities peculiar to my father and whatsoever he may be that in very truth am i in regard to sameness in essence. To this thou wilt surely reply, for it seems thou didst not go on to realize that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. And yet the force of my words shall constrain thee henceforth, even in spite of thyself, to acknowledge thy assent to this. Therefore whatsoever I say is spoken as the words of the Father, and whatsoever I do is done by the Father also. 
and christ says this not as one making use of the words of another nor even as speaking in the office and capacity of a prophet to interpret the commands that came from the father above for the prophets ever spake not their own words but the words which they received by inspiration from god again he attributes to his father the successful performance of his miracles not implying that he works his wonders by a power not his own as did for instance those apostles who said to the people give not heed to us as though by our own power or godliness we had healed the sick man for the saints are wont to use no power of their own in working their miracles but rather the power of god for they appear as ministers and servants showing forth the words and also the works of god but since the son is consubstantial with the father differing from him in no respect except as to distinct personality he says that his own words are those of the father since the father could in no wise make use of words differing from those of the son and further thou wilt understand the same to be signified in the majesty of his works for since the father could never by any possibility carry into effect any work without the son's knowledge and cooperation christ attributes his works to his father for consider him as saying more clearly this i am in all respects like to him who begat me and an image of his essence not merely adorned with the outward appearance of a glory that is not mine but owing to the identity of essence containing within myself my father in all his fullness the words that i speak i speak not from myself but the father abiding in me himself doeth the works if he would say my father had spoken anything to you he would have used words no other than these which i now speak for so great is the equality in essence between myself and him that my words are his words and whatsoever i do may be believed to be his actions for abiding in me by reason of the exact equivalence in essence he himself doeth the works for since the godhead is one in the father in the son and in the spirit every word that cometh from the father comes always through the son by the spirit and every work or miracle is through the son by the spirit and yet is considered as coming from the father for the son is not apart from the essence of the father nor indeed is the holy ghost but the son being in the father and having the father again in himself claims that the father is the doer of the works for the nature of the father is mighty in operation and shines out clearly in the sun and one might add to this another meaning that is involved suggested clearly by the principles that underlie the incarnation he says i speak not of myself meaning not in severance from or in lack of accordance with god the father for since he appeared to those who saw him in human form he refers his words back to the divine nature as speaking in the person of the father and the same with his actions 
and he almost seems to say, Let not this human form deprive me of that reverent estimation which is due and befitting to me. And do not suppose that my words are those of a mere man, or of one like unto yourselves, but believe them to be in very truth divine, and such as befit the Father equally with myself. And he it is who works, abiding in me. For I am in him, and he is in me. Think not, therefore, that a mighty and extraordinary privilege was granted to the men of former days, and that they saw God in a vision of fire, and heard his voice speaking unto them. For ye have in reality seen the Father through me and in me, since I have appeared among you, being in my nature God, and have come visibly, according to the words of the psalmist and be well assured that in hearing my words ye heard the words of the father and ye have been spectators of his works and of the might that is in him for by me he speaks as by his own word and in me he carries out and achieves his wondrous works as though by his own power and so I suppose that no reasonable theory would ever separate him who is the word of the Father and the mighty power of his essence from the essence of the Father. Rather would every one freely confess that the word ever was from the beginning in his nature contained in the Father's essence, every one at least who is anything but distraught in mental perplexity. End of Introduction